Uh, Let me pray real quick, and then we'll jump in and begin this brand new series in the uh, book of Daniel. God, we uh, commit this time in your hands, and we give you this space. We give you our hearts. We ask you, Father, that you would just take our minds and our thoughts, including our our affections and our emotions, and we want to give it to you. We ask, God, that you would shape us, remake us, and we pray, Father, that you would have this time right now to speak to us about who you are and your faithfulness. And so we commit this time and as well as over the next several weeks, if not a couple months, as we study this book, to just uh, give us insight into who you are and to how we can live as faithful followers of you in this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't, I don't know about you. I don't know what you think about when you think about the book of Daniel. I was kind of thinking about the different angles which uh, I'll approach this, because for, for many of you, um, you might have a different idea that comes to your mind when we think of the book of Daniel, all right? So, um, so I, I'm, I'm just out of curiosity, like, what, what comes to your mind? For those of you that might not be, or that might be new to Christianity, or new to Jesus, or new to the Bible, um, you might not have really any opinion, any opinion whatsoever about the book of Daniel. For others of you that may have been brought up in the church to some degree, you might think of Rack, Shack, and Benny, all right, if you know, you know. If you don't, then ask someone that knows. Um, others of you, you might think of the book of Daniel with regard to endless you know, flow charts and stuff like that that have to do with the end times and when Jesus is going to come again, and how's the rapture are going to shake down, all this type of stuff. And So I don't, I don't know what you think about when you think about the book of Daniel. Um, but my hope is, re- regardless of how you think about the book of Daniel, or whatever type of baggage you might have in terms of thinking about the book of Daniel, my hope would be to kind of reframe this entire story of the book of Daniel back into its biblical context as a book which ultimately is intended to offer hope for us who are living really under the boot of hostile uh, forces and or currents that we could uh, maintain covenantal faithfulness to God in in this world. In in other words, uh, I want to kind of put it into the context of a question. So here's a question. Can one live faithfully before God in the midst of opposing and hostile currents? So that's the big question. Is that possible? Is it possible for you and I? Or do we just have to simply succumb to the culture at large and act like culture, be like culture, let culture dictate to us or preach to us and just us um, undiscerningly absorb the message, the gospel message of gospel or the culture at large, which believe me, the message that our culture is preaching to us is a gospel message. Um, In other words, it's one that says we have the answer for hope you follow what we have to say, and you will have a fully uh, satisfied life. It's an alternate gospel, though, obviously. Um, or the other is the other alternative only to simply walk away as far as we can from society and culture at large and sort of cut ourselves off from the rest of humanity. Are those the two major ways in which we can do it? Or is there a third way? And what I think we find is that, according to the book of Daniel, there is a way for us to maintain covenantal faithfulness to God in a society that has been wholly, completely given over to ideas or currents or concepts that are completely in opposition to to God. So the book of Daniel encourages us in this particular, and if I were to summarize it in kind of a simple, though long sentence, um, I would put it this way. The book of Daniel, the story of Daniel, is intended to motivate faithfulness to God despite exile in Babylon, it's Daniel's story, or life within hostile territory, that may be, may be more us within our modern society, though I think I would argue that our culture right now is not necessarily hostile, though it can be, though other parts in the world, our brothers and sisters who follow Jesus 
are literally facing hostile reactions to their faithfulness to being, God, being followers of God, um, and ultimately offers hope that God will bring all nations under his rule. So this is kind of the overarching narrative of the book of Daniel, that it's about God. Um, if you want to think of it this way, um, a couple different themes. Next slide, we'll just kind of think about, I think that's what's next in terms of slides. Uh, can we go to the themes and we'll circle back to the resources? So here's a couple of themes to think about, and then we'll go back to those resources for you guys. Um, a couple of themes it would be one, faithfulness to God uh, while in exile. Uh, just faithfulness to God while we are yet in, in exile. I think that's a big concept. Um, in fact, the idea of exile is, is a theme, a larger theme, that plays throughout the entire book of Daniel, but I would even argue plays in the entire Bible, the entire storyline of the Bible itself. Um, if you think about the concept of exile, what does exile mean? Um, the idea of exile is basically the opposite of living at home, the opposite of being in a place where you are safe and secure, you feel comfortable in your own skin, right? That's the, that's the, the modern way in which we would describe it, is I feel comfortable in my own skin. But in reality, most of us simply don't feel comfortable in our own skin because we have varying degrees of exile which we find ourselves living in. But exile was an actual thing that happened to the people of Israel, that they were actually removed from their land, from their space, and taken off into a foreign territory, which they were then forced under uh, foreign occupation to somehow maintain faithfulness to God in an area that was so far from home, so far removed from any form of accountability or relationship or context or whatever. And yet the story of Daniel tells us of people that were able to remain faithful to God in spite of their current condition of exile. The second theme that we see is the faithfulness of God through exile to overcome the oppressor and ultimately set up his kingdom. That God's aim, we see throughout the book of uh, Daniel, is ultimately to carry them through exile. This is not God just somehow removing us from the conditions of suffering in our lives. So any type of message that gets preached to you about follow Jesus and all the suffering will end is, is totally false. Don't listen to it. Disregard it. It's not true. But what God will do is when suffering happens, he will be with you through suffering. That's what the story of Daniel is about. And there's a possibility. There's an ability by God's strength <clears throat> that he will carry you through that suffering and he will give you strength so that you can be faithful. And again, we'll look at some of that as we begin to get into the book itself. That God's, the faithfulness of God through exile to overcome the oppressor and ultimately set up his kingdom. So that's the big ultimate story that we see with regard to that. Okay, so can we go back and take a look at a little bit of the history? And uh, or actually, sorry, sorry, books. Well, let's do that. Sorry, I'm totally messing you guys up today. You're welcome. Um, so let's take a look at some resources. I thought I'd give you guys three different layers of resources. Um, the way that I typically get prepared for Bible studies or teaching through a series like this is usually about a year to two years ahead of time. I'll spend a lot of time studying a particular book and, and uh, praying through it and listening to podcasts and reading books on it and so on and so forth. And, uh, and then usually I have this massive, massive stack of books that I just I read through. Um, so here's a handful of them. I mean, this is a very, very small representation of the majority that I have, but there's some good ones that I would highly recommend. The three different layers. The first of which is academic, which would mean this is total nerd out, geeky. There's maybe like one or two of you that might be like, I want that. So uh, let me, let me, here's, here's like the litmus test. How many of you actually like to read footnotes? Any, any footnote people out there? All right, you guys, you guys are my people. 
Yes, my people. Um, so footnote people, you will love this book. It's highly like academic and it's nerdy and so on. Um, my, my, my wife and my daughters are gone right now, so what am I going to be doing on Memorial Day? Yeah, I'm going to be sitting around a fire reading this academic level book, and I'm absolutely excited about it. Like I'm so giddy to just sit down and read this and the footnotes. Um, the next would be more of a popular, popular level. This is uh, not as geeky, but really, really good. Uh, this uh, Joyce G. Baldwin, she's an amazing theologian. She's written a lot of different commentaries. Um, this is a really, really good, highly recommended commentary. And the last one is kind of more on just a devotional level. This is, this, uh, Warren Wearsby is super accessible. If you've ever read anything by him, he just actually recently died, um, passed away a couple weeks ago. Um, he was a former pastor, I think, at Moody Bible Institute or Moody Bible Church uh, for, for many, many years. A super faithful guy, loves Jesus, just a super accessible commentator. Um, you can buy his books super cheap on Amazon, wherever. Um, but I would highly recommend, if you just want something really easy, uh, devotional, this would be a great book to also check out as well. So there you go, some resources. So uh, who's, who's ready to get a little bit of history and background and geeky stuff? And Anybody? Like both of you guys? Okay, cool. All right, good. So um, the rest of you can just take a nap. I'll wake you up in just a little bit. But uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the backstory here, because I think it might be a little bit helpful for us as we begin to jump into the story of Daniel to have a little bit of under, understanding as to how we got here how the book of Daniel kind of comes into place, and, and ultimately where it heads, where it, where it takes us to. Um, interesting factoid about the book of Daniel is that it is one of the most important, most significant books in the life of Jesus. Did you know that? Did you know, without the book of Daniel, um, well, I mean, Jesus has Jesus, Jesus, he can do what he wants, but, but the book of Daniel, and particularly Daniel chapter 7, is the most definitive chapter in all of the Bible that Jesus quotes from and utilizes to define his mission. Did you know that? It's, it's fantastic that when Jesus is, is doing what he does, when he comes on the scene in the book of Mark and he announces a phrase, remember what Jesus announces? Or they say that he comes announcing, he announces the kingdom of, of God. Well, that, that phrase, even though it's not necessarily in the Old Testament as a phrase, kingdom of God, um, that idea, the kingdom of God is all throughout the book of Daniel. And it's all referencing a person that's identified in Daniel chapter 7 as someone is called ominously known as, guess what? The Son of Man. What? Did you know that Jesus, that's his number one title that he uses for himself? Jesus never calls himself, hey, what's up, guys? I'm the Son of God. He always says, and identifies himself as the Son of Man. Why? Daniel 7. Like, Jesus' identity was derived from, from this book. So if you want to understand Jesus, you really have to understand the book of Daniel. Because Jesus' whole some ministry and idea of, of what he was accomplishing is defined and, and arranged through the, the stories of, of Daniel. So here's a little bit of a backstory. So long before the story that we're going to be entering in right now, um, Babylon was, was a very well-known, long, long, long-standing uh, world empire. Um, it spanned a very lengthy, period, uh, lengthy zone. Uh, known as Mesopotamia, if you're familiar with that. It's kind of the oldest, longest-standing you know, standing empire a long, long time ago under the reign of a guy by the name of Hammurabi. If you're familiar with him, he was part of that whole ordeal. Um, it's super important. And that basically was overtaken by what was known as the Assyrian Empire. And again, if you're falling asleep, just a little nudge to wake you up. Um, the Assyrian Empire was significant, if you're familiar with the story of the book of Jonah. Remember, Jonah was asked by God, I want you to you know, go to Nineveh. Well, Jonah hated Ninevites. He was, he was deeply racist. 
but for good reason. Because the people that he was prejudiced against hated him, and they were brutal. The Assyrian Empire, they were brutal people. And the last thing that uh, Jonah wanted to do was to go to the very core of the Assyrian Empire and to preach God's message to them. That's the last thing he wanted to do. Um, it'd be like, you know, God asking, like, a good American, red, white, and blue, cherry pie, you know, American who says, I love Jesus and the American flag. I want you to go into ISIS-occupied territory. That I don't think it exists anymore, but uh, go there and go preach Jesus, God's love, to, uh, you know, the, the highest-ranking ISIS official. Like, just, that'd, be, that'd be weird. You don't want to do that. Well, that's exactly what happened with, with Jonah. Uh, that was the Assyrian Empire. So after the Assyrian Empire, this is where we kind of find ourselves in a storyline. This is sort of a, a Babylon, Babylon reboot, or the Neo-Babylonian Empire, or another way I think of it is Babylon 2.0. And this is where we find the story of Daniel. This is under the reign of a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. So his name is going to play an important part in the actual story that we're going to read in just a moment. He's an important leader. Um, there are, this is around 600 or so BC, 600 years before Christ, this, this whole scenario took place. Uh, Babylon became this major world empire that set out to overcome um, the region of Judea, um, specifically Jerusalem. And there were three sieges that basically historians will identify that took place. Um, um, in the very first siege, Daniel and his buddies kind of get swept up and taken away, and there's a couple other subsequent sieges that end up taking place. But the point of the matter is, is we see that this is what ends up happening here. Then that superseded by what's known as the Persian Empire. Um, that's, if you're familiar with the stories of Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther, Zerubbabel, so on and so forth, that's what was happening in the Persian Empire. And then the Greek Empire, and Alexander the Great, and then finally Rome. And then you get to the story of, of Jesus. So there you go, a little bit of history for you. You can wake up now. Um, next, uh, we'll take a look at some other like, subsequent things that were happening actually during around 600 BC. This is kind of cool. I thought this was kind of interesting as well. Um, sorry, we'll go back to the little icon. There you go. Um, so during the 6th century BC, around that same time uh, of the story of Daniel, uh, the Acropolis in Athens was actually being built. That's, that's fascinating. Um, at the same time, Mayan civilization flourished all throughout you know, Mexico, getting all the Mexican pipeline and like, like good surf down there all by themselves. Man, je- jealous, right? Mayan civilization flourished all throughout Mexico. Um, Aesop fables were also being written and, you know, promoted. I don't, I was going to say published, but I don't, I don't think they were being published back then, but you get the idea. Um, I don't know how they like distributed it, you know, back then. You get the idea, Aesop fables. And then, uh, Confucius, Confucius and, uh, Buddha also lived. They were doing their thing over in the uh, Asian part of the world as well. So all these things were kind of happening around that same time on which Daniel is being, uh, pulled out of his homeland and then taken off into foreign occupied, uh, territory. So let's take a look at a map, um, and then, uh, then we'll jump into the text and uh, make some comments. So this is a little bit of a, a picture of how vast the Babylonian Empire was. So everything that's in yellow is basically believed to be part of the ancient um, Babylonian Empire around 600 BC. Um, that little red line that you can see that's kind of a uh, little dash, that's basically uh, believed to be the route that Nebuchadnezzar had marched the people of Jerusalem. Um, from their home spot all the way into the region of, of Babylon. Um, so again, I, I want you to, we'll, we'll look, read the passages in just a moment, but I want you to imagine um, a, a foreign invader coming into your country and taking you and your family um, and completely ravishing everything that you once had known 
So everything that you looked at that was normal or that provided some degree of uh, security for you and or like a, a nice lifestyle has now been completely stripped out of your hands and you are left with basically being marched by way of a humiliation march into a foreign territory surrounded by a bunch of people you don't know that are different than you, speak a different language than you, worship different gods than you, eat different food than you. Um, everything is vastly different. And this is where we basically begin to find the story of Daniel uh, take place. Here's a couple divisions and contents uh, matter that we'll take a look at. Uh, next slide. Um, to think about and to consider um, that the book of Daniel basically can be divided into two major um, sections. The first section will be chapters 1 through 6, which these are familiar stories, which most people, when they read the book of Daniel, this is what they're most part familiar with. These are the stories of Daniel, along with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys are familiar with the stories. Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel being thrown, or Daniel and his friends, I should say, his friends being thrown into a fiery furnace. Familiar with those stories. Uh, chapters 7 through 12 are basically these visions that Daniel received and or Daniel um, unpacking what these visions mean or what, it, what they're understood to be mean. Um, what I would suggest, highly recommend, um, I actually thought about, debated, you know, whether or not I should show the video or not, but um, I'm not going to. It's about eight minutes long, and the reason why I'm not going to is because I've, I've watched it at least like half a dozen times, and I'm still learning stuff from it. It's eight minutes, really, really not, it's longer than the normal ones. It's so full of such good content. My encouragement to you would be to uh, go to thebibleproject.com, uh, locate this particular video that's on here, and watch it half a dozen times. Get, you know, make yourself a nice cup of pour-over, drink a cup of tea, uh, have some, some food, and just sit down and listen to it, watch it, observe it, think about it, pray about it, meditate upon it, get a good understanding as to what the book of Daniel is all about. It's, it's really fantastic. I uh, could not more highly recommend it. And also on that page is all sorts of other resources that, that you can avail yourself of as well. So um, one other thing, I already looked at some of the themes um, that we, I'm not going to go back to that right now, but um, I'm totally out of order right now in my notes because I threw these guys off, but um, that's, it's all on me. So I'll, I'll finish up with a thought that throughout the book of Daniel, there's going to be moments where we're going to dig a little bit deeper on particular words or themes or ideas. And then there's going to be other occasions when we're going to fly really high above it and just look at maybe a, a chapter, a whole entire chapter, or maybe a couple different chapters. Um, so think of it this way. As we do our, our study of the book of Daniel, um, we're, going to, we're going to change altitude from depending upon where we're at. You know, sometimes fly really low and make you know, close observations, um, and then other times fly really high and look at it from a bigger, greater perspective. So that's kind of how we will do things in this. So I'm going to read a couple of different quotes from a guy by the name Brian Chappell, who's also written a commentary on this. It's really good. Highly recommend it as well. I don't, I don't have it listed up there, but you can just Google his name and find what he's got as far as stuff. Um, so here's what he said. We may not see the gospel truths in the go uh, he, His book is called The Gospel of Daniel. Um, really good. Um, he says, we may not see the gospel truths in the book of Daniel if we fall into two common errant approaches. Number one, making Daniel the, sub, the, the object of hero worship. So I don't know about you, if you've been brought up in any form of like Christian background, maybe grew, uh, grew up hearing stories about Daniel. Um, I, I think, I, my, my opinion, I think there's a problem sometimes the way that Sunday school approaches uh, reading stories of gospel or Bible characters is to elevate them as being like, this is an amazing person, follow his example. And uh, that, that becomes really problematic, especially when you look at like a warlord guy like David, who like goes slaughters people because he's not happy with them. 
um, or you know, sleeps with Bathsheba, or does something like like errant, and you're like, oh yeah, but don't don't do like what David does here. Um, so I think I think there's a temptation to try to take characters in the Bible and elevate them and say follow their character. Now that with that being said, um, the way that the narrator tells us the story of Daniel, it's really interesting because not one bit of bad stuff happens in the life of Daniel. He, he is a morally pure, morally significant guy. There's no negative stuff that is described about Daniel's life, which is, which is a really interesting thing to note with regard to Daniel. In fact, a lot of Bible scholars and teachers, again, this might be some of the more of the boring nitty-gritty for you, so I'll wake you up as soon as I'm done with this, but um, draw this comparison between Daniel and the life of Joseph. If you're familiar with the Old Testament story, guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph was a guy that, you know, ironically, by way of parallels, uh, he was taken off into a foreign territory under a foreign world superpower in Egypt. And he was alienated or in exile from his family line. Um, and he was forced to basically adopt Egyptian cultural ways. But in the, main, in the same time, he was able to maintain his, his faithfulness to God, even in the midst of that. And he was a guy that also had received dreams and interpreted dreams and so on and so forth. So there's a, the way the writer of Daniel writes the story of Daniel is very, I, I think, meant to be a little bit of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, like, hey, remember that guy Joseph? Very similar. Um, and I think that's significant. So he says uh, one of the common errant approaches is to make uh, Daniel this object of hero worship. But we shouldn't do that. Second thing is making Daniel the subject of our debates. Um, I think this is also another errant approach to somehow make the book of Daniel all about like charts and timelines. And, and, and to be really frank with you, this is, this is the way that I inherited an understanding of the book of Daniel. Like originally, when I, I remember hearing Bible studies and teachings on the book of Daniel, and it really just focused on one particular core aspect of the book of Daniel, this futuristic uh, approach. And, and it became like divisive. Like it, it, was just, it was just an odd approach. And my, my encouragement to you would be to not turn it into a subject of, of debates. Let the story speak for the story self. And then let, let you know, as, as we absorb it and think about it and process it, let it just challenge our assumptions about um, what it looks like to be faithful people um, and how God is attempting to be faithful in the midst of even like horrible empire. So Brian Chappell says another one, he says in this quote, uh, we can become so stressed and combative about the interpretation of particular aspects that we neglect the prophet's central message. Ready for it? God will rescue his people by the work of the Messiah. The righteous will be vindicated. Evil will be overcome. And the covenant blessings will prevail because Jesus will reign. All this occurs not because humans control the fate and, and or deserve God's redemption, but because the God of grace uses his power to maintain his covenant prob, uh, promises forever. It's just a great quote to consider to think about. All right, with that, I think we're ready to jump into the book of Daniel. So why don't you guys have your Bibles ready to go, open them up. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. We're, only gonna, we're not going to get very far. I'm just going to read those first two uh, passages, and then I'll close with a couple uh, uh, other quotes and some statements, and we'll finish up. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 through 2 says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So immediately we learn that this is the story of, of kings, people made in the image of God, people that are reigning, how they organize themselves within their subsequent reigns uh, and or abuse it. 
Um, what's interesting is that if you want to dig a little bit deeper in this, highly recommend if you've got more time uh, to read 2 Kings chapter 24 and or 2 Chronicles chapter 36. This is sort of a more elaborative uh, type of uh, description as to what was going on in this particular context. Uh, again, like I said, the king of Babylon comes down and he had basically set up kind of a vassal king, which is like a manager king. And his whole job was to pay tribute to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But there came a point where this guy Jehoiakim, rather than paying tribute and homage to Nebuchadnezzar, just finally kind of put his foot down. And he was kind of getting bad advice from these like people that were actually known as false prophets that were saying, look, we are a nationalistic, powerful you know, entity. We will come against Babylon. We will fight them. And so Jehoiakim, uh, based upon their promptings, uh, stopped paying homage to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, what's, what's the deal? You're dead. And he comes back and he basically just crushes him. And then this is, this is what we're reading right now. So I, I want you to feel the weightiness of this. That one man's choice to rebel against God ultimately is what ends up leading to the brokenness of a whole nation. This, this shouldn't be shocking for us because this is going to be a theme that gets played out throughout the book of Daniel. Um, the, the book of Daniel is, is written about people that are made in the image of God. We're going to see images or pictures where uh, the, the image of God gets kind of exploited. But the, the interesting thing about the Bible, story of the Bible, is that God has images of himself on this planet that are intended to represent him. You know who they are, right? That's you. But what happens when we abuse our control? What happens when we take the power and the strength and the, and the privilege and whatever it is that we have and we misuse it and we abuse it? We, we, we unleash chaos into our families, into our friends, into other people's lives that we have direct contact with. And this is what happens. This is what takes place. This is the story of history. And this is the story of Daniel. But the question is, is even in the midst of incredible, horrible chaos, we see Daniel and his, and his buddies maintaining fidelity to Yahweh. Even in spite of any form of accountability, even when they have complete carte blanche ability to do whatever it is that they want, they choose not to go down a path that leads to chaos. They choose to live in obedience to Yahweh. It's an amazing story. Listen as it continues to go on, I'll wrap it up. It says this, And then the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So I want you to just think about this, this picture here, is that um, these vessels, these were created by, if you're familiar with the storyline, um, King Solomon. King Solomon was like golden era, Right? Israel at its golden era, its highest pinnacle, it had wealth beyond description. And Solomon creates this incredible temple. It's, it's literally the center of the Jewish universe, right? It is the place where God and human beings come together to meet with Yahweh. But now, it's gone. Every golden utensil, every bit of religious element that was once a part of that entire system, has now been uh, polluted and destroyed and distorted and ruined and ransacked and removed and taken off into an entire foreign land. And we're just simply told this bit of information. And they were all placed into the temple of a foreign god in the land of Shinar. And that little phrase, land of Shinar, is, is a hyperlink. 
It's, it's fascinating because I've mentioned this to you guys many, many times that um, especially the Old Testament is written in this incredible language and terminology that the writers of the Bible, they know exactly what they're doing. So they oftentimes, they draw out these little phrases that for many of us, you know, we're, we may not be super familiar with our Bibles. And so we, we read little phrases like this and we just, we miss it. Um, but if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, that little phrase, land of Shinar, would be a hyperlink that would take you right back to the book of Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Uh, where it's this description of people heading east of Eden and then settling in this land of Shinar. It, it's, it's the writer, Daniel's attempt to simply do a little wink, a little nudge, like where the story is headed is into a dark place, dark space. But there's hope. It looks like the very vessels of God, the very sacred Elements that were all part of the worship of God have been, been, been touched and, you know, molested and ruined and defiled. And where that now? They are in the very temple of a foreign God where it's so dark. But that's the very place where God's glory is going to begin to break out. Not in Jerusalem. In Babylon. You begin to understand this idea that God's aim from the very beginning was to not simply localize his presence, his glory, in one particular spot, one particular space, in one particular people group. God's aim from the very beginning was to fill this earth with the glory of God. And we begin to see this take shape in the book of Daniel, but at this point right now, we're, we're supposed to read this story and feel a deep pain of grief. Uh, one author uses this paradigm to describe the life of Daniel, uh, one of orientation. Everything's okay. Everything seems to be normalized under the life of Jehoiakim and life in Israel, and everything's great, and we're, you know, w everything's wonderful. And, uh, and all of a sudden, this horrible rebellion begins to uproot and take place, and in an instant, our entire lives have been turned upside down, which then he moves in the second level, which is from orientation into disorientation where everything that we once knew was normal and common and consistent has now been undermined and destroyed, turned upside down. Maybe you're familiar with that. Maybe for some of you, that defines your very life right now, disorientation. But then he goes on to point out that this then precipitates uh, what God is about to do, which is reorientation. God bringing order out of the chaos. And this is the story in which we enter into the book of Daniel, where we find themselves in this deep place of disorientation. And I want to pause, and we'll just read a couple more passages, and then we will respond. Um, this gal by the name of Joyce Baldwin, so I didn't have a whole lot of photos of her on the internet, so um, that'll do. So she said this, that the church needs to be counting on the certainties proclaimed in Daniel, namely that God is constantly overruling and judging in the affairs of men, putting down the mighty from their seats, overthrowing unjust regimes, and effectively bringing in his kingdom. And then lastly, she says, next slide. The predominant message is that God's people will experience suffering and will be threatened with extinction, but that will not be the end of the story because their God is the living and all-powerful God who will get glory by vindicating his name and who will ultimately save them. That's the story of Daniel. That, that's the story of the Bible, by the way, If just in case you're wondering. It's the story of the gospel, that God is 
in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know how this resonates with you, but this could be the story of your life too. I don't know where you find yourself this morning, what types of circumstances have brought you here, or what type of degree of disorientation that you might be undergoing in your life right now. My hope would be this morning that you would hear and see the the beauty of God's faithfulness to you, and that in response to God's faithfulness to you, that you would live a life of fidelity, of honesty before him, even in hostile territory. Even in, in a society that is not just passively communicating its, its morals. It, you know that. We live in a culture that is aggressively, passionately evangelizing us in the way that we should be human. It's a different vision than what the vision that God offers us. And if you live according to that vision, you might get along fine and well within this world. But you may end up, like Jesus said, gaining the whole world but losing your soul. But to be able to stand... For God, at some point, means that there's going to be conflict. There's going to be sparks that will fly. There will be moments of challenge that we'll face that gets translated into suffering, hardship, disorientation. But guys, we have a God that loves us. He's deeply committed to us. And if anything, the book of Daniel tells us is that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. I don't know what you think about this, but America is only 250 years old. Do you know how long Babylon lasted? The Babylonian Empire that Daniel got swept up into? Barely a century. Barely 100 years. But it had such an impact. But it's gone. It's a footnote in history. But the kingdom of God will last forever. And this is what Jesus invites us to consider. To place our confidence in. So we're going to respond now. I'm going to have the worship team come on up, and we're going to do what I think the most important thing is that we do here every single Sunday, which is to come to the table, where we remind ourselves over and over again, by way of repetition, good repetition, that we are part of a community. No matter how broken we are, no matter how messed up we are, no matter how dysfunctional you and I might be, no matter how disoriented our lives may be, how messy we might be, we are all invited continually to a table. Where Jesus says, take, eat. You know what that is an image of, right? It's an image of the everlasting God, the creative mind behind all the universe, who at one point was in an eternal state of orientation, who enters into our world and says, this is my body, the bread, which will be broken for you. This is Jesus saying, I am entering into radical state of disorientation for you so that you by partaking of me can be reoriented and be given life so as we respond let's consider who god is i'm going to have my good friend cameron lead us into a time of worship and prayer take it away thanks brian um you know as i was digesting all of this this morning and and really uh, looking to the scripture, I, I, I have a word to share with you all that I feel like we've got to let it just soak in, you know, really, really go into our minds and into our hearts. Um, because it's true that we live in a hostile land, you know, you can also say that we live in the valley of the shadow of death. 
and death is lurking and at every turn, you know, there's, there's a family member who gets cancer. There's a friend who passes away. There's, um, you know, destruction and hatred and murder and adultery all around us. We're, we see it and we feel it. We feel the effects of the culture of this world. But we, we get to live transcendent to that, even though our bodies are still inhabiting this planet. And so I'm just going to read a couple lines from Romans 8, and I just want to—I just want you all to let it soak in. If you can stand with me, we're gonna we're gonna just process this and enter into worship again, and and we're gonna we're gonna take communion together. But just listen up and let it let it sink in. <clears throat> there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm just gonna read that one more time. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We just have to embrace those words that there is no condemnation for us any longer. And, you know, even as Mo shared this morning when we were engaging in worship that, that she's feeling burdened by the, the cares of this week and the, and the, and the things that she's uh, wrestled with and struggled with just in just trying to do life, feeling unworthy, uh, feeling not righteous, feeling not good enough. Uh, that's how we, we all walk around, uh, probably struggling with that more than we care to admit. But because we're in Christ Jesus, because we are living by a different law, not by the law of sin and death, because of what Jesus did in giving his life, we are living according to this, the law of life. Because of this right here, his body and his blood that was poured out and broken for us. And you know, when Brian talks about an image, you know, there's a, there's a statue that, that's going to come up in, in, in uh, Daniel of worshiping the king, you know, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and this is the image Jesus gives us is, is one of brokenness that we can relate to, right? We all feel that daily. And when we look to this image, this, these icons, these, uh, these elements, and we engage with them, that we, we take them in, we, we eat the bread, we drink the cup, we're practicing uh, a ceremony to remind ourselves of the fact that we're not bound anymore by the law of sin and death, but by the spirit of life. And that's awesome. And that's something to celebrate. So this morning as we come to the table, let's celebrate that there's no condemnation for us any longer. And let's, let's let that sink in and let's believe that. So as you come up and you say, thank you, Jesus, you know, thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that there's no longer any condemnation. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong in, to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus 
from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we get to have life. We get to have life even in this valley of the shadow of death into our mortal bodies. So praise the Lord for that. We're going to finish up with worship and, and communion. Uh, if anyone's serving communion, you can come up and grab, grab some of that. And I want to encourage you guys to just, to just embrace that truth. There's, there's no condemnation. I'm going to pray, and the worship team's going to play, and you guys are, feel free to walk up and take, take the cup, take the bread, and let Jesus remind you of the transformation that happens through this ceremony. And if you need prayer, there's this amazing space over here. You're welcome to, to break off after communion. Come over here. Some uh, leaders will pray for you. If you want to be encouraged, if you want to be lifted up, if you really feel like you need a breakthrough today, uh, come on over here. Lord, we just thank you so much for, for what you've done for us on the cross, for, for condemning sin in your flesh, for taking on uh, all, of, all of the sin of the world, for setting us free. Uh, thank you that there is no condemnation for us, that we have life. We love you, Jesus. Amen.